CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. Great to have you all with us today for uh, Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut, and um, got a busy week ahead of us. After an exciting weekend, most people glued to their TV sets, focused on Augusta, Georgia. Jim Galloway, there aren't too many times of the year when Augusta, Georgia has the eyes of the nation upon it, but they did this week. In a good way. Yeah, in a fabulous way. Uh, of course, we all know by now Tiger Woods uh, reclaimed uh, his uh, master's title in an astonishing reversal of his career. Another quick note, if you have not been paying attention to your TV, if you're near a TV, or if you haven't been uh, watching uh, feeds come in on your internet, uh, Notre Dame is burning. It appears to be, from the pictures, almost out of control, which is just a horrendous um, thing to see unfold. So just a couple of items I wanted to mention as we get started on today's show. Just just, just, just another church that's 900 years old. Yeah, yeah. just another one. Jim Galloway, the lead political writer for the AJC, is uh, with us. We're glad you could be here, Jim. You read him on Wednesdays and Sundays in the uh, newspaper itself, and he oversees the Political Insider blog. You have a column you're already working on for Wednesday's paper. Shh, we can't no, talk no, about no, it. No, 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 you can't talk about All it. All right, we'll like, <laughs> next to you is uh, Virginia Galloway. Virginia uh, works at the Faith and Freedom Coalition. You do government affairs, government relations for them. Right, I'm the Southern Regional Director yeah. for Faith and Freedom, and no relation to my no friend relation to Jim Galloway. Say, she keeps saying that. She keeps saying that. Yeah, well, I'd disavow you, too, if I had that name. Uh, Virginia is, uh, among other reasons, we are, you know, it's wonderful. You are one of the original founders of the Atlanta Tea Party, uh, and you're celebrating your 10th anniversary uh, in about uh, an hour after we get off the air down at the Capitol. That's right. We're really excited to be welcoming Senator David Perdue uh, to come speak with us and uh, my boss, Ralph Reed. Yeah. Uh, a lot of other notable people will be there, and it'll be an exciting time and kind of a little uh, reunion for yeah. uh, the three of us gals who uh, got together 10 years ago and had this crazy idea of doing a little <laughs> gathering down at the Capitol <laughs> that then kind of turned into a monster on us. <laughs> I, uh, Melita Easters is with us. She, of course, is is the uh, founder and uh, the director of the Georgia Win List, which uh, recruits and supports the candidacy of Democratic women who are pro-choice. And we talk about you when you're not here, uh, Melita. Uh, glad to have you with us. But Thank you for we, having me. We say often that there are few people in this state who can claim to have recruited as many women candidates for office in Georgia as you have. And I was thinking, as Virginia Galloway used the phrase, the word gals, I couldn't be caught dead using that word in your presence. (laughs) Well, we're very proud of the 70 women we've helped elect and the 44 women who currently serve. Virginia and I were having a talk about the fact that there's not a similar organization for Republican women to help them fight the good old boy network, as evidenced by the recent photograph of Renee Unterman surrounded by 33 pale male senators (laughs) in the abortion debate bill. I'm thrilled to have you both here. You both represent completely opposite poles of the political spectrum. It'll be fun to be able to talk with you both today. And for the first time, we're welcoming to Political Rewind Chuck Clay, former state senator out of Cobb County. Uh, You were first elected, I want to say 1988, to the state senate, am I right? To the senate, I was a county commissioner. Yeah. Knew Jim before that, yeah, 86, yeah. 88 was and, when and, I went to the senate. And a former chairman of the party, of the yeah. Georgia GOP. When were you chairman of the Republican to Party? To think Chad's. Chad's, 2000. Okay. 99, 2000, 2001. <laughs> Didn't think the tenure would ever end uh, at the time and place. You served in the Senate for how many years? 12 years. 12 years. I was right. minority leader. Yeah. The last minor- Republican minority leader. I don't get a plaque or a... Picture down there being the last. Yeah, you only get a, 
We're the first of, you know, but hey, got to be the last somewhere. We're glad to have you here. My Thanks pleasure. for joining us, Chuck. My pleasure. Uh, let's start with this uh, anniversary. Jim Galloway, you wrote about this. We'll, of course, ask Virginia about it. But you decided it was uh, something you wanted to write a column about. It was in yesterday's paper. People can still read it online. What What was it about this anniversary that uh, made you decide you wanted to devote your Sunday column to it? Uh Probably, uh, no, number one, uh, there's always a Sunday column that you have to fill. You know, the, 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 you do have to you do fill have to fill that acreage. But it's it's look, it's th- that day, April fifteenth, two thousand nine, was just so crucial to 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 the the, the political uh, scene that followed in Georgia uh, for 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 a num- number of reasons. Number one, it truly was this Tea Party movement really was a a, a revolt. Against the Republican establishment, and and if if you uh, if I can take the, the the listeners back just a little bit, I mean we had uh, that was the season that we were first discussing uh, the what what we called the bed tax, the the levy placed on hospitals throughout the state in order to draw down more federal federal dollars. Uh, uh, we had Republican. Uh, uh, controlled uh, a Republican-controlled House and a Republican-controlled Senate that were that were both had both virtually every member had signed a no tax pledge uh, uh, by uh, 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 Grover Norquist uh, uh, the, 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 that organization. So they were they were being required to, by by Sonny Perdue and in the end Casey Cagle to uh, to uh, to sign it. And then right right outside the door is this is this anti-tax uh, rally, and uh, it's it's it was obviously a reaction to the re-election uh, to the to the election of of Barack Obama, but it was also a reaction to to the steps that George W. Bush took uh, during the uh, during the Great Recession to to beat off the Great Recession. I, I want to before we continue our conversation, I want to play just a little bit of the infamous moment in cable television. It was. We're talking now about CNBC, the uh, NBC's uh, business network, uh, and Rick Santelli, always a colorful, colorful conservative uh, 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 reporter. I wouldn't even call him a reporter, a commentator, mm-hmm. an analyst. Uh, got up uh, on the air on this particular day, a couple months before the Atlanta Tea Party had its first event. He was railing against the fact that the president had announced they were going to look for, they were going to have a very small uh, program to help homeowners who were struggling with their mortgages. And Santelli got on the air, and here's just about 20 seconds of what was a five-minute rant. This is America. How many of you people want to pay for your neighbor's mortgage that has an extra bathroom and can't pay their bills? Raise their hand. How about we all? Uh, President Obama, are you listening? We're thinking of having a Chicago Tea Party in July. All you capitalists that want to show up to Lake Michigan, I'm going to start organizing. Rick Santelli on the floor of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Virginia, do you remember that moment? That was kind of the shot heard around the world. Yeah, that was uh, the beginning of it all. It, it was amazing. I mean, it really was funny. And and, and just after that, uh, Debbie Dooley called me and said, look, me and Jenny Beth have been talking, and we all knew each other from political stuff. And she said, we got to do something. Listen, what do you want? You want to, are you in for this tea party? And I'm like, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, so, so we just kind of started kind of putting it together. Actually, the first one was in February uh, in the pouring pouring rain. Uh, do you remember that, Jim? Did Zell Miller show up at that one? I don't remember. I just remember that we all got soaking wet. But you know what? There were hundreds of people there in the rain. And we looked at each other and we said, if this many people will show up in the pouring rain, just think if we had a pretty day in April. So we decided to do a tax day tea party that day. And and then Fox News called. Yes. And then we got the call. We thought, well, maybe we can get a couple of thousand people there is what we were thinking. And then they said Sean Hannity would come. Boy, that really blew it up, and it made it uh, very uh, interesting uh, and different from what we had originally envisioned event. So, so Hannity actually came and did his show he did. from this rally, uh, which really uh, it blew up the organization in a big way. But but you weren't, of course, the first and only Tea Party. I mean, there no, were, there were organizations tea parties around founding, the nation going on that country. same day. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so I want to, you, you know, it was a fascinating day. You know, Melita, what's interesting to me about this is, in this case, uh, the Atlanta Tea Party was about the most conservative politics uh, of the time, really. It, it was a, a cry in the dark against the establishment in many ways. And not just Democrats, not just Obama, but the Republican establishment, which was, uh, I think it's fair to say, Virginia many of you felt was not acting in the best interest of the people with things like a tax increase and that sort. So you weren't necessarily, it wasn't just entirely partisan. It wasn't entirely partisan. It was actually just a really, uh, um, we really tapped into fear and anger uh, in the electorate. They felt like they had just been taken advantage of for so many years and they were just tired of it. And they felt like there were irresponsible children everywhere spending their money. So with that in mind, Melita, um, Obviously, the philosophy of the Tea Party is not one that you would embrace. The fact that they became a grassroots movement, which effectively went out and had an enormous impact on our politics, um, did, it seems to me, presage, give a template for people, regardless of whether they were on the Tea Party side or not, to look at their politics in a much more localized, hyper-local kind of way, mobilizing the troops on the ground. I think they give a template absolutely for how you mobilize troops on the ground. And I think in some ways, with Debbie Dooley's activism against sitting Republican Public Service Commission members, you have the Freedom Caucus in the House actively opposing um, Speaker David Ralston. So there are vestiges, even though the Tea Party helped create changes in the Republican Party, you still have vestiges of dissent within the Republican Party. But certainly the women who are now angry about what they see um, in, in the misogynistic policies that they believe the current Republican administration is, is putting forth, then women are organizing in that same grassroots way. And then the other thing that you see, I think, the Tea Party was, was opposed to the health care and using the word socialism against Democrats. But it's very hard to make that message ring true when over the weekend we learned that the top four pharmaceutical companies in this country received $7 billion in tax breaks. So there is a real big shift of hypocrisy there. Um, Chuck, I want to get you in, but but let me give you a chance to, to comment on that, uh, Virginia, because um, it is interesting that uh, the Tea Parties did work against Obamacare. Uh, In the years since then, uh, you'd have a harder time mobilizing people, I think, against Obamacare today, because as we learned in the 2018 election, there are aspects of Obamacare, uh, particularly pre-existing conditions, that the people of the country really embrace. Is that a fair statement? Mm, Kind of, yes. I mean... I am very. I'm still very opposed to Obamacare. I will just tell you, I am. I think it's horrible, and I know what I pay and what my employer pays for my insurance for my husband and I. And it's outrageously ridiculous. I think there are other solutions, but I think the Republican Party should really get busy with those solutions and come out with a package uh, that makes more sense. Uh, but but I but I think as far as uh, organizing people, people are still pretty fed up, not not just about Obamacare, but really, and, and this is nonpartisan. Again, this is not a partisan thing. Nobody owns irresponsible spending. Both parties do it. And and both parties uh, love a new tax, it seems like. Look, so. let, me, let me get Chuck into the conversation, and then we can continue with it, what's happening now. I want to go back to the roots. Chuck, um, you know, you were, you were I think in many ways you are pretty much an establishment Republican. <laughs> you certainly were through your career. What do you recall about how this grassroots movement, uh, as it came after everybody, h- how you reacted to it at the time? Um, and I'll even take it back one step further. I started to get active in Republican politics in 1980 when a guy sold typewriters by the name of Mac Mattingly got elected. Uh, 60,000 votes came in in Cobb County. Uh, in the morning, and suddenly the political establishment in Georgia collapsed, as it had been known since Reconstruction. Uh, The Republican Party was the party of innovation. It was the party of inclusion. 
Uh, it was a party that was looking at how we can do things better. Talk about the old boy network. It was a lot of people from out of state, a lot of new areas. We called you progressives we, back well, then. Well, don't even <laughs> that yeah, you could say bull moose, but please, not the other. Uh, but then back in the other beginning, real change was, during, people forget the Robertson campaign, which was literally at fisticuffs uh, at the time and place where you had competing groups. The establishment, I think, did not. And I've never I certainly didn't see myself as that. I certainly have worn those shoes over the years. But we saw that as an overhanded response by the party to folks that we felt this is just political talking right now that we felt we could grow around. The Tea Party was a, and was then a response next, that you yes. felt was, yeah. And okay. then next came, and this is a few years later thereafter, how do you expand that triad establishment, then sort of Robertson people, and now the tax people? When we people, say Robertson, fiscal, we're talking about Pat Robertson, Pat Robertson, who ran, of course, for president. Right, and, yeah. right. That, that, was a, a, that was a nasty A campaign that fund. failed rather... Uh, Explosively. Explosively. <laughs> and literally, we had to have security guards escorting people out of the convention. That was, uh, that was, a, that was uh, the state convention in Augusta, yes, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Albany, actually. Albany. Okay. Albany. So, when, well, let me, let me go. But I want to say to these folks, they picked up that, that idea of investment traditionally, investment with, the, uh, with Ralph Reed and more the, uh, the, 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 the Christian coalition response. And then the Tea Party galvanized a bit of all of that and really tapped into something unique. All right. I want to go back again. And I, I don't agree with sure, him all the time. I want to make sure we all are on the same page. Uh, Jim, when Chuck Clay says that 1980, when Mac Mattingly, the Republican, was elected to the United States mm-hmm. Senate, and it was kind of revolutionary, mm-hmm. uh, took us into a new era, uh, he is talking about the fact that that seat had been safely held by Democrats for Her- by Herman eternity. Yes. <laughs> and the guy who held it... Herman Talmadge, a Democrat, but but certainly a symbol of what the old Democratic Party right, was. Right, weakened by weakened by a primary fight against Zell Miller, and uh, and and stories about uh, uh, an overcoat filled with cash. Oh, that's yes. right. That's right. That little um, thing. You know, that's an interesting <laughs> thought, uh, Melita. That you know, you're a very proud Democrat. You've worked hard for Democratic candidates. Um, but the tradition of the Democratic Party, you know, in the same way that um, the Tea Party may be now thinking about itself in somewhat different ways, and I want to get to that, uh, or, it, that old Democratic Party, I'm not sure you would have felt as comfortable rallying people to run for office back in those days as you are today. That old Democratic Party was very much the pale male good old boy <laughs> network that Winlist was founded to go against. And the Democratic Party of today with Nakima Williams, Senator Nakima Williams as the party chair, is a vastly different party, yeah. a far more inclusive party a far more diverse party than the Democratic Party in the Herman Talmadge days. Um, okay, so Virginia, let's move forward on this. Um, it, it, when I read Galloway's piece, here's what his take is, and you tell me if he got it right. He talks about how in the or, uh, 10 years ago, you were organized around issues like tax cut, uh, not having tax increases. Uh, opposed to uh, the, the uh, Affordable Care Act that the president would uh, evolve into. Um, and he suggests that today, those of you who were part of that movement then, the Tea Party itself has kind of been replaced by the Trump Party, it strikes me, right? Uh, to a great degree. I mean, Jenny Beth Martin started the Tea Party Patriots, a national group, and it's still there uh, and still working alongside a lot of other groups. There, there used to not be so many groups outside the party, and now there are tons of groups. Uh, but uh, so, so we kind of all went different ways. Jenny Beth uh, did the Tea Party Patriots, and I think they're very much focused on uh, deficit issues and taxes and those kind of fiscal issues, um, as was my former employer, who I, I worked for at the time, Americans for Prosperity. Um, and then uh, uh, Debbie uh, kind of started the Atlanta Tea Party, but uh, didn't uh, really. Then she started a, a thing called the Green Tea Party, uh, which was more about uh, solar energy. And which that is when thing. when she got involved, as Melita pointed out, in working for PSC candidates in 2018, who no, Democrats who normally you wouldn't expect a Debbie Dooley to right, be involved right. with. Right, right. So she kind of went that way, and then I kind of went the direction of. I, I mean, I stayed with Americans for Prosperity for 
for a number of years after that. And and I just came to realize, honestly, that a lot of our problems, including our fiscal problems, were uh, based in moral and family problems. Right, right. So she kind of went that way. And then I kind of went the direction. Sorry, we're getting a little feedback here. Um so let me, but let me, let me go back to what I started to ask you about, which is the issues are different today. Uh, Galloway, in his column, suggests that you're going to be focused more as an individual and as part of those uh, a group of people who were the Tea Party back in the day. Uh, issues like the Democratic Party becoming a socialist party, uh, the kind of messaging that President Trump is beginning to uh, develop today. Is, is that fair enough that you're fighting now against what you see as socialistic encroachment upon the Democratic Party? Well, it, it kind of always was what we were fighting against, oh, okay. really. It was just big government. The government is the answer to everything. We don't, we don't believe that, uh, you know, those of us who are involved. Now, I didn't set the, the theme for this Tea Party uh, myself. I was invited to take part in it, and I appreciate that. But, uh, but I, th- I think that it's really pretty consistent that we have never believed that government was the answer, and we don't appreciate them taking uh, money that all of us have worked hard for uh, to try to be the answer for everybody for every need of their Hence life. Hence Rick Santelli's rant. Correct. But but, but, but you do, but you do have to to admit that that the the emphasis that y'all were placing ten years ago on 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 the on the on the deficit and and federal debt that's kind of vanished. I wouldn't say it's vanished, but it's it's gone into the background. But it shouldn't be. I mean, I, I I'm I'm all for bringing that back up. Well, the, the president certainly has not done anything to decrease uh, uh, the deficit. I will agree with you there. I mean, he's, he's got a complicit Congress uh, going, and, and, it's, and it's hard to fight the system, even the system that is elected. All right. Melita? Well, what about the huge tax cuts that big corporations and big business get from this Republican Congress and Trump policy? Well, we had the highest tax uh, bracket, I mean, tax rate in the world for corporations, which was crazy. We were losing all these companies to overseas, and we've seen a lot of companies coming back, which is why we've got the lowest unemployment rates that we've had uh, in decades. Uh, I think it's a wonderful thing. Now, also, I was really happy when I did my taxes uh, for a change. Uh, my husband is self-employed, and uh, so there was a really nice uh, break put in there for middle-class folks like us. Whereas, yeah. Chuck, what the, the, the news coming out of a lot of people filing has been, and of course we know today's tax day, uh, has been that they've been surprised that they're not getting the returns they expected, uh, which primarily may have to do with the fact that in order to take advantage of the new tax code, you had to adjust your withholdings if you're a W-2 employee, right. and people didn't realize they had to do that. Well, you know, one, politics, and everybody in this room knows that, is is a constantly evolving scene responding to what you see as the major, you know, uh, uh, you know actions, uh, decisions, and policies out there. Um, you know, tax-wise, t- to me, I look at these things that uh, 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 deficits— People talk about them. They're real, but they don't see it on a day-to-day basis. Putting your taxes together, they see that. They know whether they get more or less. And, yes, there's a little bit of known uncertainty on the short-term bump and what it means in the long term and the long haul. And quite candidly, it's really only part of genuine tax reform. I mean, but creating breaks for those who create jobs when I, is, is not a bad policy. It's led to the lowest unemployment in human history. Right, i got to get to a break in a second, but I see both of both Galloways want to say something. You <laughs> I go just want first. to say the New York uh, Times put out an article today that said, oh, actually, you probably are getting a tax break. You might have thought you weren't, but if if you actually look at the data, most people are paying less taxes. Okay, Jim, you got the last word before the, the, the break. The one thing I would say. It's just like just like the uh, the religious conservative movement of the uh, the 80s and the 90s. You've seen the Tea Party people kind of grow into leadership positions, and, and they are the establishment right now. Uh, Virginia's uh, husband Daryl just got elected chairman of the the Georgia 14th, 14th District GOP. Uh, Julianne Thompson, another Tea yeah, Party. Her, her husband is a member. national committeeman. Exactly. The exactly. Oh, Virginia. Just yeah. another establishment person. <laughs> I'll answer that. In a Let's minute. take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Political Rewind. Everything you hear on GPB is powered by you. 
Your support helps pay for the news and information GPB brings you day after day without the pressure of commercial interests. Together, thanks to listeners who have stepped up during traditional fund drives in the past, we've come a long way in public radio. Now we're asking you to support GPB during a new, innovative way of fundraising. We're calling it GPB's Stealth Drive. It's a simple concept. More of what you come to GPB for and less time fundraising on the air. Hi, I'm Burt Wesley Huffman, Senior Vice President and Chief Development Officer at GPB. Now's the time to join the public radio family and support the programs that make a difference in your life. Donate at gpb.org or call 800-222-4788. You'll become the power behind the news you use and the smart entertainment you enjoy. Do it now, and thanks. Uh, we're going to just one more item about this Tea Party reunion. Uh, Jim Galloway, you <laughs> pointed out, we've already said David Perdue is going to be there. You asked the question in your column, will he be wearing that ubiquitous blue jeans jacket that he wore throughout his campaign. Well, this is kind of, this is, he has probably had others, but I think this is probably the the first big rally of of his reelection campaign, I think. And I I know they're trying to, trying to keep a, keep on message of, uh, and not 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 let this turn into a campaign event, but it would be it would it, uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if he shows up not just in the blue jean jacket but with the red cap too. Well, the reason I well that's interesting. The reason I asked that question, Melita, is that uh, I interviewed David Perdue uh, not too long ago, and I said, you know, Senator, you ran as the outsider. That that uh, jacket was the symbol of your being a grassroots kind of guy, an outsider. You're now a United States senator. Who has the ear of the president of the United States day in and day out? How are you going to run? You're not the outsider anymore. No, he said, I'm, I think I'm still the outsider. <laughs> it's, I it's... think you Democrats are going to find a way to try to convince people that's no longer true. It's very hard to run as an outsider when you live on Sea Island <laughs> behind a gated community. <laughs> well, well, He's already done it once. That's true. Uh, he did do that more success. people know about that now. He, look, he's a good camp. At, well, we'll talk about Purdue at another point. Uh, Jim Galloway, let's move on. You you guys at the uh, Insider have been following a really interesting story. The new director of the State Ethics Commission is David Imadi. Mm-hmm. He is a former Douglas County prosecutor, right? Uh, uh, yeah, a uh, uh, former DA for Douglas a, County. A DA in Douglas County. He was a contributor to Brian Kemp's campaign mm-hmm. for governor. But he's got he's, he, he's also got a fairly good reputation. You'll remember he's the he's the fellow who uh, Put those. Uh, uh, put uh, that we had a, a group of uh, of young clans people confronting uh, African Americans at a park, and he's the one who put them behind bars for uh, out of uh, for for uh, for gang activity. But in his first news conference in this position, he announced that he is going to subpoena uh, the Stacey Abrams campaign's financial records and the records of independent organizations who. Uh, contributed to her campaign, and uh, because he wants to, there was an audit of all the campaigns uh, after the election. He believes apparently that things showed up that uh, give him reason to want to pursue her. But it's hard not to look a little bit, uh, a, a little bit questionable that this uh, former yeah, they're, Republican they're, uh, DA is uh, going after Abrams. A, a couple, a couple strange things. Uh, uh, number one, uh, this is uh, uh, his predecessor was accused of sitting on some um, some complaints that had been filed against uh, in, involving the Abrams campaign, but by and large, uh, the the Transparency Commission it is it, there's a longer title involved. We usually just kind of put it in, as, as the State Ethics Commission. Uh, they they have been traditionally very loath to to even confirm that an investigation is going on for one thing i mean uh, that generally we find out when the complainant hands us a copy of 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 the complaint uh and uh, then they then they will confirm that something has has happened this 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 wasn't the the direction that imadi took this time and and when I, I talked to uh, Stacey Abrams's uh, former campaign manager, uh, Lauren, Lauren Grewargo, yeah, uh, and and she said they hadn't even gotten a phone call 
uh, from from the you know usually you you subpoena when you can't get a docu- when 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 somebody refuses you a document and the the initial request hadn't even been made. Chuck, what do you make of this? I mean, if you were advising Amadi, would you have suggested that he go into a news conference and make this his first public pronouncement? Well, as usual, my hindsight is twenty twenty, so I'll immediately <laughs> apply the great wisdom that uh, uh, that I can bring, but. Uh, you know, I think they would have been better served. And, and Jim is right. This has never been, at least in my tenure and time, was not an independent investigatory agency. It's not a law enforcement agency per se. They generally responded only to complaints once filed by a member of the public, or at least in the public interest, whatever that might be. So it seems to me if you're going to take this more aggressive stance, I would have certainly tried to have a... A, a, a little better understanding of the reasons why. Now, is it public record? Yeah. Uh, I think there may be a little bit of uh, crocodile tears going on here because the shoe is always depends on what foot or whose ox is being gored because I expect, uh, y- you know, had the shoe been on the other foot, you'd see it the other way around. Anybody who doesn't think in the terms of like the IRS and, and agencies and organizations can be used politically, should they be? Probably not. But have they been? Of course. Melita, it's it's uh, it's it, some people are questioning the timing to some extent also because this is the month that Stacey Abrams has said she's going to tell people whether she's running for the U.S. Senate or not. It, this may all be coincidental. or Marty may have great reasons for doing this, but in politics, perception is everything. Perception is everything, and he is apparently quite tone deaf for the need to shore up the reputation of an agency when your last director left under a cloud of suspicion and bad behavior, you typically would restore public trust before you take off on what seems to be a political vendetta. Virginia, what's your read on this? Honestly, I just wonder if he's new and, and he wanted to say, hey, then a new sheriff's in town. We're going to, you know, do things uh, well here. Uh, with but this he agency. identified I'm, the Abrams and said also perhaps uh, uh, Atlanta mayoral candidates who are Democrats. Mm-hmm. No Republicans. Yeah, I, I don't know. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know him. I haven't met him or anything, and hopefully I won't have to. Uh, but you know, <laughs> yeah. I report to the Ethics Commission, you know, as, as a registered lobbyist. Uh, but uh, So I hope I don't have to have that opportunity, uh, at least uh, formally anyway. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what his reasoning was. But, but I, I think as a prosecutor, that's probably the way they did it, you know. They get it out is. and they, get, they call a news conference and they say, hey, this, we're going to go get the bad guys. So it may just be kind of hard over from his, his old job. Well, some I mean. of that. And I was a DA, assistant DA for six years. And uh, uh, there is a certain mindset. But in my mind, you know, you're never going to differentiate politics from incumbency and from power. And that's not necessarily bad. That's called that watchdog. And I've been around long enough to see that I can remember days when a young man from Bremen was running the house and folks like our good friend Joe Mac Wilson running Ways and Meads out in Marietta. I don't remember them ever being particularly shy about stomping uh, on young Republicans. Yes, but they were Democratic uh, office holders. They well, weren't the director well, of the State but, Ethics Commission, it, which presumably is well, a nonpartisan partisan. organization. It, it well, so is IRS, and look what they did to Tea Party since this yeah. is Tea Party Day. Okay. <laughs> and in some defense, though, it, it is. But who appoints them and see the members? That's not being they're doing hatchet job. Uh, they're entitled to do a search for a public Absol- record and hold people accountable. I, I, I can assure you when the Democrats take control, you'll see the same. Do I like it? Not really. I, I'm glad you said that. Not really. I was not suggesting Armadi was no, in, I know. Uh, uh, pursuing this like a hatchet job. I think it's, but it's a question that's being raised. Let me move to something but else. But I like the phrase, when the Democrats take control, because <laughs> we do believe yeah. it's inevitable. Yeah. Believe is waiting for twice. the moment. Uh, Jim Galloway, uh, there was a really interesting effort by the National Republican Congressional Campaign Commission to to pick up on a story that made the rounds back when Lucy McBath first was running in the primary for the 6th District, 
uh, congressional seat, and then when she was the Democratic candidate against Karen Handel. And, and the story did seem to have some basis in fact. She, her husband has a residence in Tennessee. Lucy McBath, I think I'm correct in saying, did at some point live in that residence with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the question became, uh, did they qualify for a homeowner's exemption for their home in, in, in uh, Marietta? Marietta? Mm-hmm. And it, it got talked about during the campaign. It obviously didn't undermine her efforts. Now the NRCC comes along and pulls a stunt in which they have a package delivered to that Macbeth address in Tennessee and trumpet the fact that Macbeth signed it for the package. They display the signature and say, look, we've got her. She does live at this address in Tennessee. And then what? Um, and then us old fogies who know how to read cursive writing look at it and see <laughs> that it, it doesn't say L. Macbeth. It says M. Macbeth. And her mother-in-law, uh, I think her name is Maryland. And uh, and and I, I should say, at, at the heart of this thing, Bill, was, was you had the Cobb County tax assessor uh, not, not too long ago disallow I think 2016, 17, and 18 homestead exemptions claimed by by the McBaths, uh, and 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 uh, it, last year the Handel campaign uh, tried to use this as proof of non-residency. You know, and 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 and, it, and homestead exemptions can be a factor in determining residency. It's not the factor. Uh, so, but but the NR uh, the the NR uh, has gone uh, CC has gone back to this, and uh, it was a uh, it was it was it was a misfire. Yeah, yeah. And you know, Melita, the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, where they all played dirty tricks. Uh, but this one kind of gives us an idea of just how dirty on both sides this race for that Macbeth seat could get. It's going to be a very tough fought campaign, but I think. Elderly in-laws or parents should have, on both sides of the aisle, the same sort of deference and hands-off approach by the media that children have of politicians on both sides of the aisle. I don't see that issue uh, getting any legs or moving. I, 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 I don't find it particularly appealing, and I don't find it particularly effective. I just don't think I, if it was going to be going to be an issue, the time to do it was at qualifying and have a ch- challenge the qualification not trying to rehash a, a, a homestead exemption a year year or more later. There are a bunch of issues. It will be a hotly contested race. I have just not, in my experience, find that type of thing to be particularly effective in bringing a candidate down or an incumbent particularly. Yeah, I think it's what's interesting about it is that the misfire is kind of more potent than the effort in possibly. the first place, I think. Certainly possible. Um, Virginia... It, talking about Lucy Macbeth, she held what I believe is her first town meeting over the weekend uh, since being elected. And uh, an incident occurred during that town meeting in which um, one of the uh, participants was a woman who got up and expressed her concerns about Ill- illegal immigration into the United States. She, I, I didn't, I wasn't there. I don't know, Jim, I don't know if you know exactly what the woman was saying, but she clearly was anti-immigration. And the crowd started hissing her, which, given that it was probably a pro-Macbeth crowd, shouldn't be surprising to us. But Macbeth had one of those kind of John McCain-like moments and said, let's respect each other. We don't need to start hissing and booing. Let's try to listen to each other. It was at least a good moment for her. It was, and and I think uh, that we really all need to take a deep breath uh, and think about the fact that we all live here together in this state, on this planet together, uh, and and just be decent to each other, even when we vehemently disagree. Uh, And I'll give a quick example of that. Down at uh, the state capitol, when we were talking about the heartbeat bill, of course, I was working on one side of it, and uh, the folks from Planned Parenthood were working on another, and and there were other people down there, you know, just lots of people working on different sides of that issue. Uh, It became pretty tense one day, 
Uh, my daughter actually sent me a photograph and said, hey, is this gal down there? And I said, uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, she is. And she said, well, uh, you should introduce her. I went to, yourself to her. I went to college with her. Yeah. And so she was working on the other side. I, I actually did introduce myself to her. And uh, now we give each other a hug every day. We're still on opposite sides of the issue. But we get along. We had a wonderful conversation. She loves my daughter. I love my daughter. We have that in common. Well, you and know, I'm going to agree with my Republican yeah. colleague that both sides of the I don't need more civility. And I applaud Lucy McBath for telling her crowd, let's be civil. And I think people often forget, and, and those of us particularly who have been around politics, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to see the bad and often to overlook the good. But it's the small gestures in life. You know, it's generally the small gestures in life, the kind letter, the note, the whatever. And, and, and the more people would do that, both sides absolutely nonpartisan. You'd be amazed the kind of changes you could get, I think, in the atmosphere of some of these charged uh, meetings, group meetings, those type of things. If everybody just said, wait a minute, as you say, just take a breath and do try to listen. You can dispel a lot of the ill will just by being fundamentally polite. And you can agree with, uh, disagree with somebody and still be friends. Imagine right, shocking. that. Shocking. Let's do this. Let's get our uh, final break of the show out of the way. This is Political Rewind. We will be back in a moment. Support GPB now at 800-222-4788 or gpb.org and receive tickets to see best-selling author David Sedaris before they go on sale to the public. David Sedaris will be at the Fox Theater in Atlanta on November 20th and the Classic Center in Athens on December 4th. You'll also join us for GPB's pre-show reception. Call 800-222-4788 or give online at gpb.org. And thanks. On the next Fresh Air, journalist and biographer Robert Caro talks about unearthing the seamy details of political deal-making to understand the nature of political power. Caro spent decades researching the careers of President Lyndon Johnson and New York City power broker Robert Moses. His new book is called Working. Join us. Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 on GPB and online at gpbnews.org. We're back on Political Rewind. Um, I'm Bill Nygut. So let's keep going here. Um, no, I want to ask a different question. I, we're going to talk about the AJC's poll, which was released at the end of the week last week. But I have to do this while we're sitting here. Melita Easters and Virginia Galloway, I said at the top of the show, you two could not be more opposite in terms of your political views and the organizations you have worked with. Yet we just finished this conversation about civility in politics. You two are, you know, showing us examples of that here. But how do you listen to each other? And how do you, in, when you hear the other voice, how does it resonate with you? I want to ask each of you that. I think you must listen with the acknowledgement of our common humanity, and you must listen for the things you have in common to give you the bridge for discussing the things you don't have in common. Can you do that? Can you listen to each other? You've always been very, you, you, Virginia, that's always I kind like of been people. your style. <laughs> <laughs> I generally like people. Uh, and and, and I, try, I always look for things to like in people. Uh, sometimes that comes back to bite me, but usually it doesn't, honestly. Uh, I mean, I have made friends with all kinds of folks, and, and I love that. And, and I think that we can learn from each other. Sometimes... Uh, even if, if I think somebody's dead wrong about an issue, and, and it may be a Republican, by the way, uh, that I think is dead wrong on an issue, we can still find, uh, uh, I can find a grain of truth or need or understanding about why they believe the way that they believe by listening. Okay. Uh, well, and so I, I love to hear why they think what they think. And I also think that there are some interesting examples during this past session of Democrats being able to pass bills by working with Republicans and finding the common ground on some things that needed to happen that passed in a bipartisan fashion. Yeah. And, and Shirley Franklin once said to a group of our potential women candidates, always be the Democrat Republicans can cross the aisle to vote for. And when you're in a potentially red district, that's the best way to get elected. Yeah. 
Chuck Clay, you've always been able to work across the aisle in your in your career, and it's <laughs> it served you well in your post legislative career too. Well, I, I, to me, going back to what I said, both these I enjoy people, I enjoy the give and take or ideas. You have to start with respecting another side, unless somebody is so shrill or, or is in a place where it's really violating either your your personal space, your privacy, or just common decency. Uh, and it was always fun. Now, it was very easy. When I went to the Senate, I think I was the 11th Republican out of 56. So if you looked up irrelevant in the dictionary, you'd see a picture of me. Uh, so you either worked across the aisle or you didn't work at all. But that was really very – I never thought twice. The Pierre Howards, uh, 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 Culver Kids, Paul Coverdales, Johnny Isaacson's, even Zell Miller's. People forget. People forget two things. Were it not for Republicans, we wouldn't have a Hope Scholarship now. Uh, uh, they were the swing vote in, in passing the uh, lottery. Uh, and the flag change, ultimately. Were it not for a handful of Republicans working with Democrats, yeah. uh, we were able Austin to change Scott, yeah. oh, I, I, I love hearing uh, Chuck, Jim, uh, evoke Zell Miller's name in terms of this. I mean— Zell didn't care who you were. He was still no. going to be cranky with you. <laughs> <laughs> he would challenge you to a duel. I need your vote. <laughs> you're in the what media. do I need to get it? That was his very simple All conversation. Right. I just wanted to have that uh, quick conversation about that. Uh, Jim, you guys released in the paper a pretty interesting polling numbers on Friday. Let's just go over a couple of them uh, very quickly. Number one, Virginia's on her way down to the uh, Tea Party rally, and David Perdue will be there. David Perdue sits with the highest... Uh, approval numbers of any of the Republicans. I believe he's still above Brian Kemp, although maybe I'm not right about that. He's at 47%. Yeah, yeah he's, no, he's, he's, he's above Kemp on he's that He's above one. Kemp. But, but Kemp he's, has improved. He, yes. He's well above uh, uh, President uh, Trump, who's at 40%. Right. So, and at the same time that that we've got Purdue maintaining this 47 percent approval. Stacey Abrams in your poll has dropped off five or six points. What do you make of that and what should we take from that? Uh, number one, I would say uh, stasis is, is, is accomplishing a whole lot here and that it's that it's that that an equilibrium is 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 settling over the field after the 2018 gubernatorial race that you've got <clears throat> you've got you you've got a a a collection of people looking at Brian Kemp and uh and and maybe not approving everything he does but you know uh, the the guy hasn't the, you know he he hasn't been the you know it, uh, Melita will take issue with me on the abortion uh, on the abortion bill but he hasn't been the uh, the 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 force of evil that many Democrats thought he might be uh, in November uh, and you've got look you've got uh, uh, Stacey Abrams coming off this incredible high I mean she was she was I think she was uh, she was up fifty what, like fifty two percent, yeah, in in January, and I I don't think you you can't sustain that without uh, without being in office. I think, no, uh, uh, you know, two, just quick observations. I know this is really uh, irrelevant, but it's true. Uh, the single most popular pol- politician in my lifetime by polling mm-hmm. was one Sonny Purdue. Uh, Sonny had higher numbers than Johnny. Uh, higher approvals when he left office. He had the highest approval. So you're going to get some name, I hate to say it, but you're going to get some spillover Purdue is Purdue to, to a lot of folks out there. And that's just a fact, which says you can't read too much into it. And I think Jim's 100% correct. I think a little bit of the post-election debrief, exhaustion sort of sets in. Things settle back down to a little more normal areas. And I think in the case of uh, Ms. Abrams, very fine person and an excellent candidate, obviously. But without that foil, without a Brian Kemp to run against, your numbers are going to settle a little bit because you're not in the paper every day. Melita. Well, and she's also not on TV in the way that she was sure. early after the election. And she's not been holding big events in Georgia. Anymore. Well, I wanted to ask about that. Um, she's obviously become a national star. Absolutely. She is still talking about whether she could or, you know, become a candidate for president. Uh, but if she's going to run for Senate, is it time for her to get back to the state and, and start having the conversation with Georgians again? Or is it just as um, worthwhile for her to stay out there on the national stage? It's, it's a tough call for her. And I repeat what I said before on on your show. 
The world is her oyster right now. And the longer she delays a decision on a Senate race, the more paid speaking engagements she gets under her belt and the more national attention she gets. And and once she becomes a candidate, some of that disappears. Yeah, of course, we've seen at the, at the other hand, Virginia, uh, David Perdue showing some very strong fundraising numbers. He's got I think $4 million on hand. He just raised a couple of million in this last fundraising period. And as long as Stacey Abrams freezes the field, unless she's the candidate, um, that could present some problems for Democrats moving forward, Virginia. I think so. I I think that most people that I know certainly are very pleased with David Perdue. And, and, you know, I I wasn't a big Perdue supporter when he first started running. I was like, who is this guy besides Sonny Perdue's cousin? You know, I mean, that didn't tell me anything. He had never been in office before. So he's kind of an unknown. Uh, So uh, but anyway, I've been very pleased with his performance in office. And he's a reasonable guy uh, that uh, advocates for reasonable policies. But you can also talk to him. I mean, he's he's nice. He's cordial. uh, He's interested to talk to, uh, and I think he's a, a, a good people person. If, if you're at 47% in Georgia, that also means that you're, you're doing not badly in the, in the north metro Atlanta suburbs. And, and that's, 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 that's where, uh, where Brian Kemp almost lost the, this yeah. election. Yeah. And, uh, and it could be, it, it could be some pro- uh, pose a problem for Republicans in 2020. Melita, I think the Democrats believe that the way to knock down David Perdue is to make it very clear just how tied he is to that 40 percent approval rating President Trump in Georgia. Absolutely. And he is very tied to Trump and Trump's policies. And that is the hammer the Democratic nominee will use against him. I'm just going to add it, 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 it. It's a fine line, but she needs to decide her course of action. If you're running in two years, while it's great and you do need to raise all the money and have these events, but, you know, being on Time Magazine or whatever isn't getting you necessarily votes at home. So if you're going to run in two years, you have to rotate. You've got to get in front of the Georgians and have a, a message for the Senate. And if you're going to wait four years and try to run again for governor or if you're trying to bid on a national ticket, that's different. I think the toughest decision she has is what is it that I want to try to right. do? Where do I need where am I best served with my talents? I'm not obviously for her. As a Republican, I'll be working for the other guy. But uh, she needs to make that choice and come home if you're going to run in two years. It is April 15th, not only tax day, but we're running out of time for Stacey Abrams to tell us what she's going to do (laughs) next. She said it would be in April sometime. We're out of time uh, for today's show. That was Chuck Clay you just heard. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to have you on as a panelist for the first time, Chuck. I'm thrilled. And you said nobody threw me off the panel yet. Not yet. yet. Melita Easters, the founder and director of the Georgia Win List. Thanks. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Virginia Galloway. Real quick, you are wearing a pin that is kind of an artifact, isn't I'll it? I'll show it to your radio audience <laughs> yeah. right here. It's yes. a, one of the it's original... A little, a little teapot from the original <sighs> Tea Party days. Phenomenal. Have a Looks great cool. event today at 4 o'clock down at Liberty Plaza at the State Capitol. And Jim Galloway... Thank you. ...going to see you again on Friday, Friday for another Political Rewind. By the way, Wednesday on Political Rewind, we're going to spend the hour with Dr. Andra Gillespie... Obviously, a frequent panelist on the show. She's got a brand new book on uh, President Obama and race, which is filled with fascinating data. Give about... me an autographed copy. <laughs> I think. <laughs> and uh, tomorrow, we're going to be talking about criminal justice reform and what comes next on that front. That's all for today. I'm Bill Nygut. Thanks for being with us for Political Rewind. See you tomorrow at 2. Great day, all. Thanks.